so we're at Once a Light Coffee and uh, interviewing Liam Wilkie. You can hear the the hum and murmur of uh, of Rocky. Do you want to tell us about Rocky? Yeah, we've got the air compressor running a little bit in the background, so sorry about that. It'll, it'll kick off shortly. Um, yeah, so at our Collingwood store, um, we've got our prototype operating. Um, Rocky is a fully automated robotic coffee machine, um, and it does everything that a barista would do. We've got uh, a two-group Lamazaco linear, we've got a, a rover grinder, um, and two robot arms, and uh, it's fully self-contained in an enclosure, and you can watch it make your coffee from start to finish. Um, weighs the coffee, weighs the espresso, adjusts the grind, um, and I think it makes great coffee. Um, it does, I'm subjective, yeah. but yeah, <laughs> what do you think? I mean, you had a coffee this morning. I did, it was amazing, it was, it was great, and... Um... I think it really helps people to see the Lamazoko, to see the grinder. Yeah, it's, there's, uh, there's it's, certainly value in, in incorporating those elements that are familiar because it'd be very easy to just put an auto machine in um, and it would make our life a lot easier. And we definitely considered it uh, because it would, it would be um, you know, it, it, it definitely a, a possibility to add an automatic machine, but... Um, we thought that the value of having that familiar context with people is, is, is definitely worth the extra effort um, because even though we're replicating the motions of a barista and, and the things that you know are definitely optimised with an auto machine, um, that process is sort of, you know, it's not really trusted. You know, no one really would look at an auto machine and say they can guarantee they're comfortable with the coffee that it produces. Um, you know, there's a lot of context that already exists around there with with, you know, let's say the, your 7-Eleven or your McDonald's auto, auto coffees, which are, you know, generally not really up to standard. Um, mm. And there are definitely some very capable auto machines that are coming onto the market now, but um, I think there's a bit of a challenge on the communication side about trying to convince uh, mm. potential clients that, you know, it's capable. Um, yeah. And so it just assists us in that. And, and there's also, you know, some additional quality control that we're we're running that you wouldn't really be able to do on an auto machine or you'd have to sort of design for additionally. Um, so, yeah, not only is it, you know, I would say more capable in some regards, but, yeah, I think it's um, it's really valuable having that familiarity for people to, to is, see yeah. and, and recognise um, as a, a capable process in a similar situation. Yeah, obviously you guys have attracted the interest of the media. I think I saw something on TV and Broadsheet wrote an article and uh, I think it, one of the things that um, motivated me to do this podcast is that Melbourne, there's something really significant happening in Melbourne around coffee culture. The whole fact that there's this robot barista here and we have every other possible differentiation around coffee, um, it shows that there's something happening. I think that there's been a real socialisation of, of Melbourne. We talked earlier with a friend of Liam's about um, just the fact that we've trained people to be coffee snobs in Melbourne. Yeah. We've actually taken yeah. this city on a, on a journey of saying, hang on a minute, this is, this is what a single origin is, this is what a blend is. There's been a lot of communication with customers from you know, the, the old days of, of going to Brunetti's and you know, getting your... Um, your espresso and your big foamy cap, and that you know they've probably changed the way that they serve coffee now. But um, it's it's been a big journey of, of education for a lot of people who um, have been able to see the potential for his product to be served in a different way. But at the end of the day, it is the same product, and they're the same people who are um, drinking espresso coffee. 
Um, you've gone from you know Starbucks. They tried. They <laughs> did fail. And they've got yeah. a few stores now, but <clears throat> there was some interesting um, discussions around you know why the Starbucks uh, operation didn't fare too well, and a lot of that a lot of that was generally put down to the fact that you know, the coffee culture that was here didn't really resonate with the products that they were trying to sell. Um, that's potentially changing a little bit now, but even then, um, it's still really important for uh, businesses to understand that you know the market is still going to dictate what uh, what product you really need to offer. Yeah. And um, you know, if people want, let's say, a Starbucks style frappuccino, they're entitled to to get that if they want that. Uh, if they don't want that, then you know, Starbucks is probably not going to open. Um, yeah. But um, there's there's so much uh, that you know, has been done to sort of um, train and educate um, the market here to, to accept like this sort of standard of coffee. Um, and there's, you know, a huge amount of coffee that's sold in Melbourne. Yeah. I mean, you're probably more familiar with the numbers on that one uh, at the moment. You're sort of... Um, <laughs> number of cups, number of tables. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's still know. growing. It's surprisingly, uh, it, it is a, it's $5 billion industry in Australia, yeah. cafes alone, cafes yeah. and restaurants. The number of seats are pretty much doubled in the last 10 years. Um, the, the significant thing is there's no one player that dominates the market. Like It's, it's all, all independent. That's yeah, the thing. which yeah. is fascinating. And, and certainly um, we, we can probably see now even that some of the bigger players are starting to drop away. Like I'm certain that I heard... Yeah, Michelle's um, Patisserie has gone. And, and Gloria Jeans. Uh, Gloria Jeans, yeah. Um, part of Retail Food Group, I think. Pie face. Back. <laughs> no, they weren't yeah, that big. I but, mean, but that was, they did have a, you know, coffee was a big part of their offering. Yeah. And they put a bit of effort into that with the different blends that they used to offer and things like that. But, um, I mean, I, I wasn't really uh, you know, a customer of theirs, but I remember taking note yeah. of, of the way that they served coffee. And they had, I think, six different blends that they'd offer oh, okay. you know and they'd have like a really light roast and yeah, they'd yeah, 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 really yeah. strong probably some like robusta yeah. blend that was you know really really uh, you know sort of blow your socks off kind of strength before um, we geek out about automation because I, I want to I, I believe that automation is a trend and um, in my first episode talked a lot about objective coffee yes. um, and I feel like I might be wrong and I, I'd be interested in your opinion but I feel like um, the one uh, the platform that we've built the last sort of 10 years of the third wave movement on is, is a platform of objectivity. And it's just such a relief to me to, to move away from the superstition that there was around coffee in the, in the 90s. And, you know, if you tap once or tap twice or if you open the window, you know, you have to change the grinder. <laughs> there. Yes. Do you want to tell me a little bit about just briefly or, or long, it's up to you, about, you know, the change you've seen in specialty coffee and how it's becoming more objective and the cafes you've worked for, good and bad and ugly? Well, yeah, look, you raise a really interesting point. Um, certainly in the last 10 years and, and, and even five years, there's been a huge shift towards objectivity in coffee brewing. Um, and, you know, that's come about just from people who want to research and explore what's actually occurring when you're making coffee um, and just trying to understand the process better. Um, rather than sort of existing in this sort of uh, pseudoscientific, um, you know, self-affirming atmosphere of, you know, um, uh, bias, um, where, you know, there, there was very little objective control and measurement and, and 
Um, I mean, it's the same with roasting. We can apply exactly the same process, uh, the same thought process to, to how roasting has changed before crops are existed, you know, which isn't really that long ago. Um, you know, roasting was just... Smelling, people had no idea smelling what they were it, chewing it. It's basically <laughs> random, you know. Like, who knows what was going to occur? Color were, matching the color to yeah. the previous roast. Yeah, yeah. And, and that we all know how much you know the actual result can vary, even if the the coffee looks the same, especially on the outside, let alone the inside. Um, and so, you know, there's been a lot of tools um, and processes that have evolved in the industry to allow measurement and objectivism to become a lot more popular. Um, Cropster, as I mentioned, is one example for roasting, but we can look at even even in the simplest way, gravimetric brewing in espresso or in filter uh, filter brewing, um, you know, weighing your dose and weighing your yield. I mean, that it's quite new, really, relatively, relatively new, new, given how long we've been making espresso for. Certainly um, saves me a lot of coffee at home, you know. Well, and I think yeah, a lot of home baristas sure. would be interested once you you buy a bag of coffee from Proud Mary or Padre, it's like thirty bucks for a small bag, and then. You use ninety percent of it trying to dial in your grinder. Being, you know, back in the day, before we had, before you know, before everyone really understood how important these mass mass ratios were, you could, yeah, you buy a two fifty gram bag and you make you want to make yourself a coffee, and before you know it, you've gone through one hundred fifty grams trying to make yourself something that you like. Buy a pair of scales and just weigh that first uh, dose, and yeah, just keep that dose the same. I mean, write it down. We've gone <laughs> we've gone all the way down the down the rabbit hole talking about gravimetric and everything like that, but yeah, really at the heart of it, it's just keep the dose the same, keep the yield the same, unless you want to sort of adjust how strong or, or, or you know, that, that sort of uh, ratio. Um, but And you've really gone to the extreme. Like if yes. it wasn't for objectivity, if it wasn't for gravimetrics, as you, as you said, you, you would, Rocky would not exist. Like you're able to program a robot to make a coffee because of absolute science and numbers exactly. and data. Well, there's still, um, even given... I mean, one thing we didn't mention is refractometry, which is just another step even further. Yeah, yeah go into it. I mean, yeah, I mean, there's, <laughs> there's so much... There's so many, so many different um, tools that you can use to measure coffee in an objective way. And, yeah, the refractometer is probably one of the biggest uh, yeah. changes that we've seen in the industry to allow better quality control and better understanding of what's actually occurring when brewing espresso. Um, but with the machine here, um, we haven't incorporated refractometry yet, um, it's definitely something that I want to uh, consider because it's a great tool for objectivism. Um, and yeah, for those of you potentially who, who are not aware, yeah. a refractometer um, is like a small handheld tool uh, and it uses a laser and it measures the refractive index of the coffee and has some very clever mathematics that are going on inside the machine and it'll actually tell you what percentage your uh, sample, your espresso or your filter or whatever coffee you've put on the sample glass on the lens, uh, whatever, what percentage of that sample is coffee and what percentage is water. So it's known as your percentage total dissolved solids. Um, and so when you brew an espresso, you've got a component that's water and a component that's not water. That yeah. not water component has come from the coffee. Um, and so being able to measure that, you know, then lets you uh, understand how much of the coffee you've taken from your dose and yeah. put in your cup uh, and maintaining that in a consistent way or at least understanding how that can change or how that can affect the result in the cup um, is very valuable because uh, it's just another control. But with Rocky, we haven't yet incorporated that because it's um, just something else that uh, we want to look at in the future. But for now, we're using gravimetric control. So we're weighing every shot that goes in, weighing every espresso that comes out. 
Um, and certainly with a well-controlled blend or single, if your, if your coffee that you're using is consistent, um, then gravimetric control can give you a really, really tight range yeah. of, of, of variants. It's, it's very good uh, for uh, your consistency. If everything falls within that range, it's very, very unlikely that you're going to get something that tastes off. Um, yeah. And so it, because we have got a robot that's making the coffee in effectively in a completely unattended way, I mean, I, while we're testing, we've got, I'm personally on site at the moment just overseeing to make sure everything's operating safely and yeah. there's no issues occurring and just doing customer service. But the actual brewing process is completely automated. So um, in that way, we're completely relying on the ability to measure yeah. as our quality control method. Yeah. Uh, and there's no taste involved. And we're relying on consistent roasted coffee um, as a big component of that ability to understand uh, what the readings mean and develop our control to make sure that the espresso is brewing yeah. correctly. Getting back to uh, most cafes in Melbourne and the cafes that people go to to enjoy their cappuccinos and lattes and flat, mainly flat whites probably. <laughs> a lot of your coffee. Um, Obviously, we geek out on automation, like we are seeing, you know, more um, automatic milk frothers, we're seeing automatic tamping, we're yep. seeing um, more automation around espresso machines, oh. volumetrics. Yep, and you've got milk dispensers, even if you're not looking at, that, you know, Uber milk, you've got things like um, the Moobar or the, yep. the, the juggler system, you know, which is just sort of taking more processes out of the hands of the barista. Yeah. And... and, and allowing the baristas to focus on the other aspects like quality control yeah. and like customer service. If you obviously you can't put Rocky in every cafe and just change, you know, just send everyone home, put Rocky in there. If you were to open a traditional cafe without Rocky, yes. um, say some of the listeners might might want to, be, want to open a cafe, they look to Melbourne for an example, what would you do? What would be the most important thing you would do, and I'm, I'm, I guess I'm talking more about the coffee side on the of coffee things. Side, so if I was if I was just to, to focus on how I'd set up my coffee bar, um, I mean, there, there's a lot of different ways that it can be approached, but I think the most important thing for a successful cafe um, and and a cafe that keeps its customers happy and keeps its customers returning. Um, is consistency, yeah. um, and and you want tools at your disposal that assist you in being consistent, yeah, um, and repeatable. Because if you get a customer who comes to your cafe and loves what you're doing, um, you don't want them to come back and be disappointed when they get something different mm. next time. Um, and that's a really you know critical issue that you you can't leave unresolved. Um, and so that's why there are these tools. I think certainly becoming more popular, um, like puck presses and and and. Um, you know, milk dispensers like the, the Barissima and the uh, Uber Milk that allow a degree of consistency to be handled in a mechanical way um, because your machines, as we know, are, <coughs> pardon me, are very good at being consistent because they are designed to do one job and one job only. Um, and volumetrics on the machine, the same approach. You know, the flow meter, just measuring the amount of water that's coming through, does a really good job of that. More... Mm. A much better job than a barista could by watching, yeah. or even using a scale and trying to time it right to stop the shot when yeah. the when the mass hits, the, you know, the number they think uh, they should stop it at. Um, and it means that the the barista can focus on all the other aspects rather than trying to 
manually stop shots and steaming every single coffee that they need to steam for. Um, and ultimately, ideally, the, the, the customers get a, a more consistent and a, and a better coffee. Um, even, I think, personally, even consistency comes above quality in terms of what I would say yeah, um, true. Is, is valuable because um, quality can be very subjective yeah. in, in the arena of espresso coffee service. Let's just narrow it right down to espresso coffee. Someone might have the best quality, most precisely made Ethiopian coffee, but just hate the profile. Exactly. And they'll say, this coffee's sour, but you and I might say, this is the best coffee I've had all year. And that's it. So it's, it's... If you develop a clientele who wants whatever it is that you're making, it has to be the same yeah. the next time. And there are plenty of cafes that still exist that serve what a lot of people in the third wave or, or you know, uh, specialty baristas or people in the specialty coffee industry, you know, they would look at that coffee and say, that's garbage. Mm-hmm. There's still people lining up out the door, though. Um, oh, and yeah. a, lot of the, a lot of the reason that is is because of consistency. Um, and um, people really don't want to be surprised when they go for their morning coffee unless, you know, they're part of that really small subset of the population who are interested in sort of trying something yeah. new. But even then when they're trying something new, they know they're trying something new. If you're giving them, yeah. you know, oh, this is my new single that I just, you know, roasted and, and, and I'm trying a new profile, let me know what you think, um, whatever, you know, giving feedback to people in that way, they still understand that you're trying something new. Um, so they might be surprised because they're trying something different, but they're still expecting it. Yeah. So I think surprise or, or you know, uh, unexpected change yeah. in service or quality is um, something that really should be avoided. Do you know much about water quality? Because I'm, I'm thinking Melbourne has amazing water for coffee. I mean, some people might might say it's too hard or too soft in different parts of Melbourne, but yeah. compared to the Mornington Peninsula, just an hour's drive from here, which is, just tastes like chlorine, yeah, um, Perth, Tasmania, but even in Asia, like, what can water's a real problem, and I, and I think that as a roaster, when we roast coffee, we're, we're cupping and tasting the coffee with our water, yes. and then it might go to a, another country or another city where the water is radically different. Is this, is this just in our imagination, or, no, or is there... Do we have to have reverse osmosis or... Look, in some places, RO is the only way that you can achieve the correct water for, for, for brewing coffee. And not only that, but preserving your equipment as well. Yeah. Um, if you've got a really high mineral content in your water, um, there's a really high chance that you're going to get scale build up on your machine. And, and if that's not treated or, yeah. or managed, um, you know, you can end up binning thousands of dollars worth of boilers and... Um, you know, uh, hydraulic equipment mm. because the scale build-up just destroys everything. Um, and, you know, not only going down the path of, of things completely breaking, once you start getting scale build-up on your elements and everything, they get less efficient. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, all your coffee machine is going to cost you more to run. It's probably going to be less temperature stable because the element can't respond as fast as it should. Yeah. Um, and... Uh, I mean, that's just a simple uh, approach and, you know, why we should be managing water chemistry. But as I was saying before, there's a portion of your espresso that's water and a portion of your espresso that's coffee. The water portion is immense. Yeah. You know, generally, 90, 90%, like yeah. as, an, as, a, as, a, as a rough guide, 90% of your espresso is water. Um, it's even, a, a, you know, approaching 99% for a filter coffee. Yeah. So it's... Super critical, not only for flavour of the final beverage because you're tasting mainly water, but the process of brewing coffee is a chemical reaction, and, and you've got you've got 
uh, dissolution into into this solvent. Water is a solvent dissolving, um, you know, what chemicals that are available to mm. in, in that coffee into the solution, um, and you have got insolubles that get washed into the solution yeah. as well. But um, you know that dissolution into into uh, the solution is uh, highly dependent mm. on the mineral content of the water, um, and. Melbourne water is is very soft, so we've got a really low TDS uh, of our water here, um, and it's predominantly quite low chlorine as uh, amount as well. So so we, there's not a, a lot of excessive chlorination because there, there's no recycling of water or anything mm. like that. Um, and a lot of our it, it's predominantly rainwater that we get here, so it doesn't come from underground. It doesn't have a lot of contact with mm. minerals and things like that. So mm. that's why we have. Uh, in a lot of suburbs in Melbourne, you can see down to as low as 20 uh, ppm mm-hmm. uh, uh, mineral content. Um, you go to Adelaide, you might see five, five or six hundred. Mm. Uh, I think know, a lot of people might buy some coffee in Melbourne, take it home and wonder why it tastes completely different. Yeah. And they haven't really... Um, obviously, they can buy like a box of pure water from the supermarket. That's it's often a good way to experiment yeah, at home. Yeah, so I know that... Um, Matt ever, Perger ever did a bit of work on yeah he 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 has a, a water recipe that you can use um, that he post on his blog on Barista Hustle and um, you start off with just a distilled water and add minerals so he uses uh, magnesium sulfate which is Epsom salts um, and calcium chloride I believe so you add in calcium ions and magnesium ions because uh, they are the two sort of major uh, components that assist uh, brewing coffee when added in the right amount. Make you can't have too sweeter. much. You can't have too too little. You know, so it is a sort of a sweet spot. And there's definitely guidelines that exist um, for you know uh, uh, espresso brewing uh, and, and filter brewing water. Um, you know that for you know, some barista competitions and such have to be adhered to. Um, and guidelines for for uh, ppm of minerals and uh, even you know, espresso machine manufacturers will specify um, down to chloride, free chlorine, iron, other contaminants. Um, you know, the only issue we have to really deal with in Melbourne is sediment, yeah. um, which is quite easy with a particle filter to, yeah. to deal with. But um, yeah, if you take a coffee that your roaster has brewed, has 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 roasted and brewed um, and developed their their approach. Uh, in Melbourne or in another city and brew it somewhere else with totally different water, um, it's not really possible to get the same result mm. with different water. Yeah. If the water falls outside of either where it was uh, where it was roasted or um, you know where the where that sort of sweet spot of mineral content, yeah. um, it's definitely gonna taste radically different. You can get a very hollow, flat, um, you know very lacking in body and low mm. sweetness. Uh, effect from from the yeah, mineral content being you know outside of the bounds. You mentioned filtered coffee a couple of times. I love batch brew. Um, I think in the in the same way as you geeked out with robots, I geeked out with batch brew because I'm like, thank God, I can control this batch. You know, just being able to pump out 200 cups of coffee and they're all yes, identical, exactly, <laughs> exactly the yes. same. I mean, obviously we've we've all tasted a good and a bad batch of batch brew. What yeah. do you do? You, what do you think about batch brew or filtered coffee generally I think um, it's a really good approach uh, it's it only, fast <laughs> it is it started to take off in Melbourne when cafes started to sell more filters 
and they realised it wasn't feasible to start making V60s one at a time manually one at a time or two at a time if you're a real short if you're really good you know, yeah, you've got your two Hario kettles and you've got both of them happening at once um, or you know like me back in the day at St. Ali got the brew bar happening with three siphons you know and, uh, and, and pulling shots in between you pour 50 grams of water run pull an espresso <laughs> run back I've done that well we were busy enough to have uh, me just on brew bar for a while but um, yeah as soon as you make one siphon everyone sees what's going on and three more siphons get ordered so uh, but yeah look there's and the first one was yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> better than the second. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, there's a lot of issues around control when you're trying to do small batches repeatedly. You're just magnifying the chance for error, um, and I think a lot of cafes realise this. And um, you know, getting set up to brew batch brew is not prohibitively expensive. It's more expensive than buying a little ceramic uh, comb, but. It's you're not spending 15 minutes each time. Exactly. Like you've got to consider the labour. Yeah. yeah, massively. Um, it's something that's often overlooked. Um, and not and only bench space too. Like You don't have to devote a section of your bar to making coffee that you know um, you can make in the morning and have available and, and just refresh it every couple of hours mm. or um, as, you see, as you see fit. And yeah, you can, you can brew... Um, one and a half, two litres. I'm not sure what size your pots are. Three litres, so yeah. three litres. I mean, that, yeah. that's, that's a pretty, pretty large brew. It's like 20 long blacks and the best 20 long blacks you've had. Yeah. <laughs> so and once, yeah. once you've developed that, that process and that recipe, um, there's no reason that you know, every cup that you get out of that pot is, is going to be uh, any different than another. Um, I think it's a really good approach. Um, there's still going to be room for single-serve filter because you might find uh, people brewing with really expensive coffee yeah. um, who don't want to you know, make a litre yeah, of coffee at a time. 200 grams of coffee could cost me 20, 30, 40 bucks if or it's more. a geisha. Yeah, some of yeah. the coffees that come out, people want to serve in their bars, that you know, they've got to charge 12 or $15 for a single cup. Um, yeah, I can understand not putting that in a batch brewer. Um, but for espresso service or for, for cafe service, a batch brewer makes perfect sense. Yeah. And um, I think... They got a really... The, the idea of filter coffee as a product was sort of tarred a little bit uh, back, you know, from, from everyone's sort of understanding of the, the drip-a-later machine you plug in on your bench and, um, mm. you know, it drips the water on. And it, basically, it's the same process, but just made better. And those machines were, mm. were pretty flawed. And I think everyone got the wrong idea about what filter coffee mm. should taste like. Um, and it all got lumped in with... You know, McDonald's, the, <laughs> those yeah, boiler pots. Exactly, that sort of sit there cooking away and, you know, um, just taste completely rancid after a few, <laughs> half an hour. Um, and that's not, that's not what filter should taste like, <laughs> guaranteed. Um, you're definitely not going to achieve that sort of flavour from, from a well-brewed uh, batch brew. I know that you're not in the space of opening cafes. You're riding this roller coaster of... Uh you know, Rocky's pretty famous and, and I'm sure that there's a lot happening behind the scenes and I'll ask you yep. to, to, you know, put in a plug and tell us what's, what, what you want to tell us, what you want people to hear. But if you were opening a cafe and if, yep. I, if I said, you know, anything you want, you know, spend a million dollars on equipment, what, yep. what, what would you buy? What would be, what would your espresso machine be? What would your grinder be? Um, or, or is that not, not as important? Well... I think equipment is in the morning and have available and, and just refresh it every couple of hours or um, as you see as you see fit and yeah you can you can brew um, 
one and a half, two liters. I'm not sure what size your pots are. Three liters, so yeah. Three liters. I mean, that, yeah. that's that's a pretty pretty large brew. It's like twenty long blacks and the best twenty long blacks you've had. Yeah. <laughs> so and once yeah. once you've developed that that process and that recipe, um, there's no reason that you know every cup that you get out of that pot is is gonna be uh, any different than another. Um, I think it's a really good approach. Um, there's still gonna be room for single serve filter because you might find uh, people brewing with really expensive coffee yeah. um, who don't want to you know make a litre yeah, of coffee 200, at a time 200 grams of coffee could cost me 20, 30, 40 bucks if or it's more. a geisha yeah some of yeah. the coffees that come out that people want to serve in their bars that you know they've got to charge 12 or 15 dollars for a single cup um, yeah I can understand not putting that in a batch brewer um, but for espresso service or for, for cafe service a batch brewer makes perfect sense yeah. and um, I think they got a really the, the idea of filter coffee as a product was sort of tarred a little bit uh, back you know from from everyone's sort of understanding of the the dripolator machine you plug in on your bench and um, mm. you know it drips the water on and it basically it's the same process but just made better and those machines were, mm. were pretty flawed and I think everyone got the wrong idea about what filter coffee mm. should taste like um, and it all got lumped in with you know, McDonald's, the, <laughs> those yeah, boiler pots. Exactly, that sort of sit there cooking away, and you know, um, just taste completely rancid after half an hour. <laughs> um, and that's not that's not what filter should taste like, <laughs> guaranteed. Um, you're definitely not going to achieve that sort of flavour from from a well brewed uh, batch brew. I know that you're not in the space of opening cafes. You're riding this roller coaster of. Uh you know, Rocky's pretty famous and, and I'm sure that there's a lot happening behind the scenes and I'll ask you yep. to, to you know, put in a plug and tell us what's, what, what you want to tell us, what you want people to hear. But if you were opening a cafe and if, yep. I, if I said, you can have anything you want, you know, spend a million dollars on equipment, what, yep. what, what would you buy? What would be, what would your espresso machine be? What would your grinder be? Um, or, or is that not, not as important? Well... I think equipment is important, certainly, but I think there's a huge focus on equipment um, that potentially does tend to go beyond what's really feasible or logical. Um, you talk about experience being more important sometimes as well. Yeah, I think um, there's certain things that different pieces of equipment, even if we talk ex- explicitly about espresso machines... You don't necessarily have to have, you know, the coolest looking espresso machine on the block um, to make a great coffee. And if your clientele doesn't really care about that, then it's going to be a waste of effort and money to, to spend the extra money. So on there's, there are machines that can be consistent but don't necessarily look sexy and attract the Instagrammers. Yeah, so but in some cases... Pick your you market. Might, yeah, exactly. I think, it's a, I think it's a case of pick your market and, and understand that um, there's a lot of potential options... Um, I mean, we, we're using a Lamazocco linear, uh, just a classic, an AV, and th- uh, those so that, machines... So that'd be right, five, $6,000 uh, new? Sort um, of? Well, the, the retail on a two group, I think, is Maybe 10, 10 nine, or 12 10, grand or something yep. like that. Um, and so they're, you know, still more expensive than the really cheap single boiler heat exchanger machines, but... They come well under where you'd pay for something like a Slayer or a Seneso. Which would be 30k. Yeah, you can pay upwards yeah. of 20, 25 for those easily. Um, and then you can add you know, customization on top. 
Um, so a volumetric machine, though, definitely. Yeah, 100% <laughs> guaranteed volumetric. No manual paddles. Um, so you push the button. What I would say. Yeah. Um, and yeah, you push the button. The button is gonna be. 250 uh, units of water or yeah, whatever, whatever it's measuring <laughs> pulses of flow meter yeah um but look i'm a huge fan of the lumazocos i've used them for years um i've made thousands of coffees on our lens um the pb has got some great features and it's you know, slightly better ergonomically but would i buy one instead of a classic probably not i don't i don't really see the value in in the additional cost um i think you can make amazing coffee on a linear um you might see better temperature stability out of some other machines, multi-boilers and things like that. Um, the linear is a two-boiler machine, so you've got a boiler for hot water and steam and another boiler for brewing. And uh, it's got a PID to control the brew temp. Um, and it's a design that's been around for tens of years now. Mm. I'm not exactly sure how many years the linear has been around, but I think it's at least 20 years. Yeah. Um, and it's got a pretty cool aesthetic to it as well. I mean, I think they actually look pretty pretty good. Like, yeah. the, the sort of classic design. Um, but there's a really interesting new player that's entering the market in espresso machines at the moment that I'm really keen to see develop. Um, and that's Decent Espresso, if okay. anyone's familiar with those. Um, and um, John over at Decent has developed a really new approach to uh, the brewing of espresso and... and, and design of, of an espresso machine um, up until now every espresso machine has been um, a boiler with a pump attached um, and steam escape yeah <laughs> so you're just holding all this water at high temperature um, and you you know turn the pump on push the water through the grounds uh, and the pump runs at a pressure uh, some machines like the stratas you, know, you can do pressure profiling and things like that um, but you know, really, really, you know, sort of generally following a following a, a target pressure, um, and brewing your coffee according to what your know, machine uh, will do repeatedly. Which, yeah, again, you know, the machine is going to be much better at producing a consistent pressure, or um, you're, you're following up if you're using a pressure profile, using a pressure profile, um, you know, it's going to be more accurate at hitting that than a manual uh, paddle or lever machine or something like that. Um, but the decent um, is actually doing away with boilers and is just uh, heating water uh, accurately by mixing superheated water and cold water in a manifold. Wow! Um, and the current prototype uh, sort of low-scale production model that they're doing now, um, I think he's just built his first twenty machines wow. at once, sort of thing. He sent he sent out the first production run, and and they've just started production on. Uh, like more scale so they've just done a big run of 20 at once that's the most machines they've ever made at once um, and these machines are they're commercially available they so they are I'm not sure what the current state of, uh, of uh, whether they're taking orders mm. now um, they might be pausing just because they use like a coil of like how do they they literally the they have I, I'm fairly sure they use like a thermo uh, an electro uh, I've got to use the right word now um, oh that's right <laughs> uh, it's like a a Electric, electrically heated uh, thermal block, okay. I think. But don't quote me on that because um, the tech inside the Decent is um, super transparent and you can go and look for yourself. Yeah. Um, so if you look them up, uh, there's a huge amount of information on there on, how, on what they're doing and why it's better. Um, but the, the benefit is that you, know, you don't have all this energy cost associated with uh, holding all this water at temperature. Um, and the Decent is full of sensors. Uh, it's got a... Temperature sensors, I think it's 
five temperature sensors or something on the brew circuit with the hydraulics. And um, the machine will adjust the mixing uh, of the hot and cold to achieve a consistent temperature wow. delivered to the, the uh, with a sensor that you, you can pick and choose which sensor is your target. You know, you don't have to say uh, constant temperature at the at the, the shower screen. If you wanted to make it behave like a boiler machine, you could say make it the same temperature before it gets to the yeah. the group or, or whatever. Um, and uh, there's so much customization uh, available in how you can brew that. Um, you can target flow rates instead of pressures. Um, you can set up your shops to use so many different conditions to move on to another stage in your recipe or profile. Um, and um, he's sort of very open with uh, his revisions and software. And so he's constantly adding more features and, and um, more uh, control to the system. Um, and it's run off just a touch touchscreen tablet. Yeah, and um, they're, so they're a little single group machine. Wow. And, um, they're they're producing a commercial machine, uh, the DA one Cafe, uh, so the DA one, the DA one Plus, I think, and then the DA one Cafe, um, and they're all single group machines, and they're just designed to operate, you know, in in a sequence of single groups. Yeah, if you have them in a, in a cafe, you'd get Lego. <laughs> yeah, you just plug them in and go. And um, I'm really excited to see where that goes because it's a, it's a really new approach because. No one has reinvented the wheel when it comes to espresso machines until now because everyone's just said, oh, well, let's get more boilers or more elements or, you know, oh, we've got six boilers, or, seven boilers. scales that... And you put scales <laughs> in the drip tray and stuff like that. Yeah. And, and, um, yeah, it's all just... It's all seems, been the same, really. Yeah. Nothing's, nothing's changed um, aside from, yeah, adding more complexity and, and some of those machines and are certainly... freaking out the baristas. <laughs> giving them, yeah, lots of, lots of things to be concerned about and potential reliability issues and such but yeah that's a really interesting um, machine and I would certainly keep that on your radar if equipment is something that you're looking to purchase uh, soon because um, I think they could be very very influential uh, and uh, helpful to promoting your cafe as well yeah and they've got I mean I've tasted espresso from the machine they came and did a demo at Mice um, and uh, this little machine I think the retail on this one was in Australian dollars, it was about two and a half thousand for a wow. single group. That's so the Melbourne International Coffee Expo. Yes, yeah. mice. So that occurred uh, would have been nice. late March, I think it was. Um, and so yeah, John at Decent brought a machine to demo. He had Scott Rayo there as well, wow. um, who he's been working with, um, and heavy. Yes, <laughs> so some big names. Yeah, big names. Um, and they were at the they were at the Barista Hustle booth with Matt Perger. Um, so there was some serious coffee knowledge being exchanged there. It was it was really awesome little space. Um, but they were, they were talking in Klingon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, certainly if uh, you know if you were not uh, operational in the industry, uh, you definitely could be mistaken for completely foreign communication from those guys. Um, but I was really impressed with the coffee that it made. Yeah. Um, it tasted better than coffee I've had from twenty or thirty thousand dollars placement machines. Yeah. And there's nothing to say that that design can't work. Um, yeah. And so the whole thing is about just innovating and, and coming up with a new approach. Um, who's to say that you have to use a boiler in an espresso machine? Why is that the norm? It's great. So maybe like one last question before we ask about once alike and where yeah, sure, where, yeah. where, you, where you hope it goes and where it's going. Um, must visit cafes in Melbourne um, or 
where if you retired and bought a cafe just to live and watch Netflix in for the rest of your life, which one would it be? Oh, uh, that's a hard one. Um, what's the if someone had two days in Melbourne, where would they have to go for coffee? Um, I've certainly heard um, a lot of different people say uh, people that I um, uh, whose opinion I respect and who I. Generally agree with, uh, often disagree on this question. Um, a lot of people are very polarised by different shops and, and different uh, approaches to coffee service. Um, oh, you don't want to offend anyone? <laughs> well, no, no. More that it's a really interesting question because um, I can't seem to find anyone who agrees. Everyone has a di- everyone thinks you know, I, I might go somewhere and be really impressed, and someone else might say, "Oh, yeah, it was good, but they didn't like this aspect." Um, I definitely think uh, Vacation are doing a really good job there in the CBD. Yeah, Exhibition Street. That's Kale, Sahili, and they're roasting their own coffee now uh, with some of the guys from, old guys from Mailing Room. Yeah, the, the uh, space is really cool. It's really attractive, really well designed. Um, the batch brew was phenomenal. I had a really good batch brew there. I don't know what it was. Well, there you go. So now we're, we're agreeing. You've been yeah. there as well, and you've oh, yeah. great. So, um, yeah, Vacation is probably my go-to for... Uh, delicious filter. and they, they've run Pillar of Soul Bawa um, Square and Compass you know, like, like they they do coffee well yeah that's not an unfamiliar area for them and it does make sense that they can pull off something like that um, and yeah their espresso is just as delicious as well consistent it's um, got that Ethiopian yogurt chef in it the blend it's quite complex and sweet with milk but yeah it's a good all rounder I guess like it's not too I think it does hit that balance between sort of interesting black and, and you know, yeah. does work it's in milk. Um, and it's cool to see someone doing, you know, their own approach to a blend rather than just doing, buying a standard. It's so refreshing. Yeah. I, th- I think I remember, um, I think it was Wide Open Road with the, the first, and Mailing Room with the first two sort of specialty roasters that had uh, like a yoga chef in their blend and yeah. it was so sweet and refreshing. Everyone was doing... It was Colombia Costa or Brazil Colombia or Brazil Costa. Yeah. <laughs> it was like, oh my god! <laughs> I think for about five years there, it was that yes. two two bean blend everywhere. Yes. Um, so it's nice. There's definitely time and a place for that, and I don't dislike that approach. And again, this is what we're touching on earlier: is it's about consistency and yeah. and giving people what they want. Um, but if you're drinking coffee in search of something new, it can get a bit challenging. If all you're getting is the same flavour from three or four different blends. Um, so, yeah, certainly it's nice to see that um, you don't have to use these. This, you, know, you don't have to follow the, the, the trodden path of, well, you've got to have a Brazil and a Colombian in your blend. Um, so, yeah. So Rocky's just uh, woken up, and he's, he's a, a beautiful uh, box. What is he, about two and a half metres cubed? Uh, 2.2 by 1.3 on the floor and uh, uh, about 2.1 high. And because this is an audio podcast, um, what you're basically seeing is two robot arms like you might have seen in a Toyota car yep. manufacturing plant. Like this is this is this is proper robot. This yeah. isn't some sort of home, um, you know, uh, Raspberry Pi creation. <laughs> Yeah, we've got uh, two industrial arms, so they're the sort of arm that you could see certainly in automotive 
fabrication, welding, pick and place. There's a lot of uh, biotechnology. Uh, Terminator 2. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> if you've seen those movies, then, you know, there's a lot of context that we've got to make sure we don't fall into. <laughs> um, and, yeah, look, even one of them's got a little red eye. I'm not sure if you've noticed that. Yeah. The Terminator yeah, eye on yeah, there, yeah. so. Um, but it's, it's an interesting approach to have uh, industrial... Well, they're called industrial robots, not not commercial. Mm. You know, the the approach is traditionally manufacturing and, and all of those uh, processes that occur, you know, behind closed doors in warehouses. And um, there's some amazing advantages. Obviously, no staff. Um, you can walk up to the touchpad, order your coffee. It's got heaps of options. Yeah, uh, the robot will make the coffee for you and... That contains its own water. It contains its own sugar and milk. Yeah. So having a completely unattended uh, coffee experience has generally meant poor quality coffee. Um, up to this point, you know, you, you can go to a vending machine and get a cup of something that you probably might not call coffee. Um, but uh, we want to try and change that, and we think that we can with the, the technology that we've got and our approach to like objective measurement and, and understanding the, the coffee process, the brewing process, um, you know, we think with this hardware, we can definitely achieve that. Um, and we're just iterating our, our process as we go. Um, you know, each day we get data and check and make changes and it just gets better as we, as we go. And um, we developed our own POS system with an app. And you just turn up, tap on Latte, uh, it'll step you through whether you want a single or a double shot or if you want different milks. We've got full cream, skim and soy. Um, and there's so much optionality involved um, without sort of overcomplicating it. I think that's important. Um, if you just want a latte, you can just get a latte. You don't have to you know, tell me how many mils of milk you want or how many grams of coffee. I mean, the machine's going to take care of all that. Um, it does make the ordering experience nice and simple and there's still some work that we want to do on that front but um, we're really excited to see how the project grows um, <clears throat> and we're looking to develop our production model for release later this year. So this prototype has definitely been really valuable for collecting data but um, we're sort of retiring the data collection and testing uh, at the moment. We'll still be opening to serve coffee but our focus is on the next model. Um, which you know, we want to see rolled out to multiple locations. So basically anywhere where there's power, you could drop one of these machines and it runs itself? Exactly. The machine has water and waste completely on board, so there's no need for plumbing. Um, you don't have to you know, dig up the floor to put drainage or anything like that in there. Um, we and just it's need... safe. It's very safe. Yeah, it's completely enclosed, so it, it, there's no sort of uh, risk of robot-human interaction there's an airlock for coffee service so the coffee gets placed in the airlock the airlock opens and then you know the the robot side is completely isolated from the humans and you come and grab your coffee and uh, that's it the robot keeps doing its thing on the inside so you can see what's going on through the polycarb enclosure but um yeah it's all it's all completely secluded from human contact so um it's just basically a big box um and yeah it makes coffee on the inside and then sends it out it's amazing. I love it. Anything you want to promote? Any tips or tricks or numbers or facts or Instagram pages people should visit? Well, <laughs> there's one thing that I want to get across to people that I always you know, try and touch on if I'm 
talking to a receptive audience about coffee. Um, I think it's always important to keep an open mind about coffee and understand that we still don't know everything that there is to know. Everyone is learning. Um, everyone is doing their best. Everyone who's trying to develop a better understanding and uh, come up with new ideas, um, they might be wrong. They might be right. Um, but at least give them the opportunity to have that discussion um, and entertain different ideas uh, and let yourself be open to changing your mind about things or adopting you know, new thoughts. Um, and the industry is definitely in a really dynamic place now where there's a lot of new knowledge flowing in and a lot of sort of understanding about processes and, and um, you know, detail about what's occurring when coffee's brewing. Um, is, is rapidly increasing so um, keep your ears open I think you know, keep the discussion happening talk to people compare what you think with what other people think um, and, and figure out why you think the same or why you think differently um, and don't, don't live in a bubble <laughs> don't live in a bubble don't live in a bubble that's great. Thank you, Liam. That's Liam Wilkie from Once a Light Coffee. And at the moment, you can get free uh, coffees between 7 and 10, Monday to Friday, but not forever. We're actually, yeah, so at the moment, we're, we're doing 7 till 10 this week, but uh, on Monday, we are updating our hours just as we are um, winding back our testing schedule. So we can find you at Once a Like on Instagram? On Instagram, yes. Yeah, Once so a Like. The handle is, is Once a Like, um, and we're adjusting our hours. Uh, O-N-C-E. Oh, oh, yes. Yeah. O-N-C-E-A-L-I-K-E, Once a Like. Um, and on, uh, as of Monday, uh, Monday the 20... Uh, sorry, the 30th of April, um, hours will be 7.30 till 9.30. So we are scaling back our hours just a little bit. Um because we are focusing more on that next model. But the sooner we get that model out, you know, the better our robot coffee is going to be. Yeah. So um, we appreciate everyone who's come by uh, so far to taste the coffee, but we're still going to be open, so you can, you're not going to miss out. That's great. Um, and we would like to offer weekends in the future. So okay. um, keep an eye on our social media, and as we you know, update hours or anything or, or have anything else to share, um, you know, you'll be the first to see it if you're on there. Thank you. Thanks for your time. Thank you so much. It's always good to catch up with an old friend um, and talk, talk, talk about coffee and, and geek out a little bit. Um, uh, I know I can get wrapped up a little bit there in detail, but um, I mean, we could talk for hours probably That's if we great. wanted to. People can listen twice, <laughs> catch the details. We'll do another 20 minutes next week. It was, it was, 20, it was 20 parts per million for Melbourne water. Yeah, <laughs> That'll save someone having to go back. Um, yeah, yeah. Awesome, so thanks. Thank you. Yay, that's awesome. Thanks, mate. No, thank you. Look, I had 17 or so, um, but it's good. It's great. I've been wanting to do this forever, and this app is incredible. Um, it just, it uploads the... I've heard about that. It's, it's it puts so music. seamless. It's just like... It's bang. like, it's on iTunes. It yeah. pushes it out to everywhere yeah. for me. I think I can I can go to my Google Home at home and say, hey, play Melbourne Coffee Podcast. It'll like... Play. Yeah. So... Sorry, I'm a little bit like... Um, I no, you're I great. Oh, look, it's every day's long when you're so at I six. I think I probably rambled a little bit there in a couple of places. So, sorry, I wasn't very... Prepared. No, that's good. It's long, no, as long um, as it's... um. You're listening to the Melbourne Coffee Culture Podcast 
we had a fantastic interview last episode with Liam Wilkie of Once Alike Coffee and his coffee robot. Now, this is not some robot at a Japanese tech show. This is like an industrial robotic arm like the ones that build cars in a box with a Lamazoko making shots the way you and I would make one in a cafe. I want to be upfront with you and say that the next 12 months we're going to put together so much information so that a cafe starting in Asia, in Europe, in America, in Africa, anywhere you are, you will be able to put together at least the quality of coffee, service and attitude that you would find in the best of the best Melbourne cafes. Now, of course, every geographic area is going to have its own unique style. You should totally be yourself, totally find your own niche. We understand that water quality is an issue. We understand that sometimes accessing milk is, is really hard in certain countries. But we're going to put together everything from design, architecture, through to water quality, water filtration, social media. It's going to be a bit random. We're going to just, some episodes will just be me talking for three hours about latte art, where you can find resources on YouTube. Other times it's going to be very specific, three minutes on something that's a problem that uh, is going to help you. And other episodes are going to be interviews with people who are super famous and you wouldn't be able to contact them any other way, perhaps, other than through the podcast. Uh, you can actually send questions in if you go through Anchor. Um, you can actually call in with your voice and leave a question, and I can answer that on the air. So just remember, the next 12 months, we're going to be pumping out so much information, and uh, we'll see how it goes. After we get to 12 months, we're going to um, put together some uh, videos and uh, find out what you guys want so that you don't have to listen to 10,000 hours of me talking. You can just go through uh, and pick the videos that you want. It's going to be online training and support. And uh, maybe I'll even come visit you and see what you've done. I'm Jonathan Scholler. This is the Melbourne Coffee Culture Podcast, available everywhere.